Now, I've got to start with some bad news this morning, um, and that is simply this, that there are few congregations meeting around the world today for whom it is going to be harder to enter the kingdom of God than this one. Okay? I'm so sorry uh, to have to tell you that. Um, but we live in an immensely wealthy part of the world. We often forget that. If you earn around £30,000 a year or more, that puts you in the top 1% of the world's population. Um, some of you uh, may not earn anywhere near that. Uh, some of you may earn masses more than that. Uh, but that gives you some sense of where we are around in terms of what it means to be rich in, uh, in this world. We are an extraordinarily wealthy group of people. We forget that uh, because we only really often get to see each other. Um, but if you've ever tried to get a camel through the eye of a needle, then you'll know that that's a jolly hard thing to do. And, uh, and Jesus says that it is easier to do that than it is for the wealthy to get into the kingdom of God. What an extraordinary thing to say. What on earth did Jesus mean by that? Well, it's clear uh, from what we already have seen in Luke that no one is excluded from the kingdom of God, including the rich. Um, and in fact, there are plenty of examples in the Bible of really good people uh, who are rich. It's not about simply whether or not you're wealthy. There's nothing inherently wrong with having money. Um, but Jesus is concerned about the underlying desires of our hearts. Um, what are we willing to give up to follow Jesus? Um, and it's very hard to give up something that we have lots and lots of. This whole section of Luke is really asking the question, um, how do we respond to this king, this um, new, this Messiah uh, who is going to come and restore all things? Um, and there's lots of little stories and bits of teaching that give us different angles on that, both within our passage and more broadly. And it kind of all loosely, uh, you could say, fits under this idea of the treasure of the kingdom. Where have you put your treasure? In chapter 12, he says this, don't be afraid. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves, which will not wear out, and treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And here he comes again to explore that basic idea. And I think that he pushes that in a couple of different directions um, in the reading that we've had. Firstly, I think he is suggesting uh, that the way we handle our money expresses, and in fact more than that, shapes our heart far more than obeying rules and regulations. And the second is uh, that the joy of giving everything to God far outweighs anything that our money can offer us. So today we're going to see how those two ideas uh, are made, uh, are, those two points are made by our reading, particularly the stories at the beginning and end of our reading. But there's a lot of contextual stuff we're going to look at, so it's really worth you having your Bibles open in front of you. I know I always say that, but particularly today, um, just because we're going to get a little bit of a bird's eye view on what's going on around the passage as well as within it. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a grand tour of this section of Luke, so bear with us. Um, but I think 
that Luke wants us, obviously Luke, this is just a letter. I mean, the, the, the idea that we zero in on tiny little chunks um, isn't actually how it's in the first place supposed to be experienced. It's a letter, we're supposed to read the whole thing. Um, we're gonna take a little bit of a chunk, therefore. Um, I put uh, our passages in context. Um, I think that the story at the beginning and end, uh, the story of the rich ruler and the story of Zacchaeus are supposed to be taken together. There is far too much mirroring in them for it just to be a coincidence. Um, and, uh, and in fact, they really strongly evoke the story of the, of the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector, the parable that we looked at last week. And you'll see that in the top of the second column, page 1052, just before uh, the reading that we actually had this morning. Um, let me read that to you just very, very quickly. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So that sits behind our two main stories this morning. And, and you'll notice that they're basically both about really rich blokes coming to Jesus. Um, but they're also very, very different the opposite in some ways. Uh, the, 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 the rich ruler starts the story as the goody. Um, verse 21, you know, we learn that he's kept all the laws perfectly, he reckons. Um, he's confident in his own righteousness, just like the Pharisee in the parable. He's full of good de deeds. In fact, when it says it's a, he's a ruler, that we don't quite, don't quite know what he's a ruler of, but there's a very good chance he's a ruler of the Pharisees. So he could be the uber-Pharisee. Um, Zacchaeus, on the other stand, on the, on the other hand, starts the story as a baddie. He is uh, a chief tax collector. Now we know that tax collectors come in for pretty rap, bad rap in Luke, particularly. Uh, ta these tax collectors had betrayed their people, sold out to the Romans, and were skimming off a whole chunk of the of the tax that they were getting to line their own pockets. This guy is a chief tax collector, so he's skimming off the tax collectors who are skimming off the people. Um, and everyone hates him. They mutter about the fact that Jesus interacts with him, that he's gone to meet with this sinner. Um, so in some ways, it looks like we might have the uber-Pharisee and the uber-tax collector in these two stories. Um, you might notice that the rich ruler stays rich but ends up really unhappy. There's, that's there in verse 23 of chapter 18. Whereas Zacchaeus, uh, in verse 8 of chapter 19, ends up poor but very happy. There's a sort of giddy delirium about uh, Zacchaeus by the end of the passage. Um, another contrast, as with the parable, uh, the, 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 the Pharisee or the ruler ends up not in God's kingdom. Whereas uh, Zacchaeus goes home justified before God. He, salvation comes to his house. Um, and I just want to notice one more thing, uh, a little contrast. 
you might notice that the, the rich ruler refers to Jesus as teacher. He wants advice, he wants wisdom, information on how to make sure he's added eternal life to his portfolio. Um, he wants to know what to do to earn his way in. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, refers to Jesus as Lord. He, he wants, he's willing to turn up his, his life upside down in order to follow Jesus. And he does so in response to the gracious welcome of Jesus, lavished on him in the midst of his sin, before he's even said a word. So you can see that little mirroring pattern. And actually, there's a, there's, a, there's a slightly broader pattern I just want to very briefly point out. And you can see this with the different chunks that are on the page in front of you. So, uh, chapter 18, verse 9 and following, we have uh, the, the parable with the overconfident Pharisee and the very penitent, have mercy on me, tax collector. And then immediately after that, there's this little scene with children. Um, and there, we, Jesus encourages us to all to come as children to God. There's this, other, this second image of the humility of coming to God. Um, then we have the rich man who reflects the confidence of the Pharisee. Um, and then we have this little story of the blind beggar who, just like the tax collector in the parable, says, have mercy on me. Uh, he, is, he is our first image of humility. Um, uh, and then we have the story of Zacchaeus who in some ways, there's a sort of childlikeness about his, what turns out to be, real humility, isn't there? He's small, he climbs trees, um, and there's this sort of giddy schoolboy thing about him in the, in the end. I think there's this little hint of him reflecting the child um, as well. So there's this echoing that's gone on in the way that, it, that all these little different passages fit together. Now, if you've been very shrewd, you would have noticed I missed a little bit out. Uh, 1831 and following, uh, uh, middle of the third column. Here, Jesus reminds his disciples um, about what's, what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. It's not the first time he said this. He reminds them again of the suffering that is going to come, that he is king. He is the king that is going to be given the kingdom of the world, in fact. And yet to get there, he is going to go through the suffering uh, of the cross and then rise again. And of course, we'll particularly be looking at that over the next uh, two, uh, couple, couple of weeks. And that sense of Jesus emptying himself uh, sits at the center of this pattern. Um, and it evokes a little bit of, of what Paul says in Philippians 2 that King Jesus, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with, with God something to be used to his own advantage, but made himself nothing. Literally, he emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant. And I suspect that by placing this little snippet in the very middle of this pattern, Luke is suggesting uh, that following Jesus has this same pattern to it, that same humble character of emptying ourselves in service uh, of the king. So back to our two basic ideas. Um, firstly, that idea that the way we handle our money expresses and also shapes our hearts. And secondly, uh, that the joy of giving everything to God far outweighs anything that our money can offer us.
So with those two elements in mind, let's drill a little bit more deeply into uh, that first story of uh, the rich ruler. So the, this guy comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, why do, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now I think that Jesus knows where this is going. He knows that this guy really just wants a pat on the back, just a bit of reassurance that he has nailed it um, and that he is righteous enough for the kingdom of God. There is nothing he needs to do. He is confident in his human goodness. Um, and so Jesus gives him a little prod, maybe tongue-in-cheek, saying, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone, i.e., neither are you. Um, and I suspect that there was a moment of quiet and a slight goldfish impression from the uh, ruler going, um, uh, and Jesus continues. He says, you know the commandments? And he rattles off a few, and, and, the, and the guy says, well, like, well, I've done all of those. I do all those really well. I've kept them since I was a child. But you might, if you're very shrewd, have noticed that there's a few missing from Jesus' little list. For example, the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus turns to him again and says, well, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. In, in other words, you think it's enough to look like you're obeying uh, all the rules of the law, the things that make you look different as, a, as the people of Israel. Um, but that's not what I'm really after. I'm after something greater than that. I want everything, in fact. I want your very heart. I cannot be your God if money is already your God. The Christian faith is not a contract to negotiate where we're trying to get, give the minimum amount uh, for the maximum uh, return. Um, it is something far more relational than that. It is an invitation to be part of the new age. Uh, it's about a decision to turn your whole life over uh, to a different world, to this king of a different, uh, different kingdom. And of course, if we're going to follow that king, and we know how passionate Jesus is about looking after the poor, um, we need a very good reason not to be giving to the poor uh, that we have in our midst. But of course, that's all a little bit too much for this guy. Uh, how can following Jesus be worth everything uh, how, how can it be worth more than all the comfort and the kudos and the adrenaline rushes that he gets from all his money? Verse 23, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for somebody with riches to enter the kingdom of God. The more you have to give up in following Jesus, the harder it is to make that decision. And ultimately, the way that you handle your money, uh, your willingness to give it up, have a posture of open-handedness with it, expresses your heart and also shapes your heart. And of course, this would have been staggering stuff. This guy, nobody would have imagined that this guy, this rich 
perfect young ruler uh, wouldn't have the righteousness necessary to enter God's kingdom. In fact, in that culture, the very fact that he was wealthy would have suggested to them that he must have God's favor. So this is a paradigm shift for them all. Who then can be saved? Jesus responds, what is possible, what is impossible with man is possible with God. In other words, none of us get to come to Jesus uh, on our own terms. None of us get to come to God trusting in our own goodness. But salvation is only possible by an act of God, his free grace, um, which lies in this story of Christ's suffering. Jesus goes on, No one who has left home or wife, brothers, sisters, parents, children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. From, from what we've seen of the book of Luke so far, um, this is how I think I would paraphrase uh, that. I'd say that for those who respond to the grace of, that, that God offers, whatever they have to demote in their lives to place Jesus uh, front and center, whatever they have to sacrifice in some ways, will turn out to be well worth it in his kingdom. Um, and that in the meantime, God will give us everything that we need as we journey uh, towards it. In, in, in other words, Mr. Rich Ruler, the great irony is that if you had given up your earthly wealth for Jesus, you would have discovered riches beyond your wildest dream in God's kingdom. It really would have turned out to just simply to be a really sound, really good investment uh, with fantastic returns. The joy of giving everything to God far outweighs anything that your money can offer you. Um, a missionary who was martyred in the last century, Jim Elliot, said this. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, I realize we've been slightly fine tooth combing. The, parable, uh, the, the story of the rich ruler. So if that has been a bit dull, then now's the time to wake up. We'll, we've, we've finished that little bit. Um, we're going to look briefly and a little bit less technically at the story of Zacchaeus, just as we finish. Um, but yes, yeah, so Zacchaeus is this small, rich man up a tree. Um, and he's hated by everyone. Everyone... Uh, sees this guy who has sold out to the invading army um, and they have been swindled by him. They know that in their poverty it is their money that is lining his pockets and allowing him to live the way that he is living. And they really do not like him. He is deeply unpopular. But something has got this guy curious. He clearly doesn't feel he can even push through the crowd to get to the front in front of people. So he runs ahead on his own climbs a tree and says, well, at least I'll get a good vantage point from here. He's not interested in the conversation. He just wants a good look at Jesus. And yet, Jesus comes along and looks up at him with this beaming smile and says, Zacchaeus, I'd love to come for dinner. Can you imagine? There's Zacchaeus saying, you, this miracle worker, this man of the moment that everyone's talking about, uh, you want to 
come to my house? I'm this, is the, this hated, greedy swindler. And over food and wine, um, Jesus, uh, with Jesus, Zacchaeus starts to realize that the hospitality that he thought he was giving to Jesus is actually Jesus' own hospitality given to him. Jesus is welcoming him in to his own house, into his own kingdom. And Zacchaeus starts to recognize that there's something deeply, deeply valuable about that that goes far beyond anything uh, that he owns. Um, And so he decides to follow Jesus, and he recognizes that that is going to turn his life upside down. Jesus doesn't ask him, note, to give anything away, but he volunteers uh, to go above and beyond any sort of reparation that the law required of him. Um, If you do the maths, he's probably going to be pretty skint after this. He gives away half his wealth, which he is primarily, we suspect, made from swindling people. And then of the rest, he's going to pay back four times everything that he has swindled. That maths, to me, sounds like he's going to be pretty skint uh, by the end of the story. Um, it's, not a, it's not a sort of following Jesus' generosity. Um, it's, it goes far beyond that. He completely empties his heart of all that he valued uh, and to completely fill it with Jesus. He completely gives away everything that represented his old life uh, in order to be completely filled with this new life. God doesn't ask us to necessarily, literally, go and give away all our money. He might ask you to do that, but that is not a universal thing that he asks of us all. Uh, But he does ask us to give up anything that holds us back from following him. He asks us to give up anything that is in competition with Jesus' kingship in our lives. You shall have no other gods but me. The way you handle your money expresses and shapes your heart towards or away from the kingdom of Jesus. Where is your treasure? And when we do give up all uh, to him, we discover that it is all the things that we've given up are actually worth very little in comparison to the riches of belonging to God's kingdom. There is a joy in giving all to God that far outweighs anything that our money can offer us. We're going to draw to a close, and maybe this is a moment to start thinking about what are the things in your life that are in competition with Jesus for your priorities, for your heart? Is it money? Is it kudos? Is it affirmation? Is it uh, success? What are the things uh, that you need to empty out of your pockets uh, to follow Jesus? Let me read to you uh, something that C.S. Lewis wrote. 
If we consider the unblushing promises and the reward and, uh, of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are like ignorant children who want to continue making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So let's just take a moment of quiet just to think about what it is that we need to give up. Um, And maybe just imagine yourself standing before Jesus and saying, look, Lord, here it is. I give it up to follow you. Or do you find yourself walking away sad because it just seems like too great a cost. Father, I pray that you would help us to have a vision of your kingdom. Uh, I pray that you'd help us to put uh, everything that we love into your hands, that our treasure would be in your kingdom and in serving you, and that we would know the joy of belonging to you. Amen.